Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Semaphore Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. In this new episode, Darko, the podcast host, welcomes MKDev co-founders Pablo Inigo Sanchez and Kirill Shirinkin. Pablo and Kirill will tackle the tech buzzwords, AI, LLMs, large language models, DevOps, and cloud lock-in to help us separate hype from business value. I hope you enjoy this new episode, and let's dive in. Hi, Kirill. Hi, Pablo. Nice to see you guys again. Could you just please go ahead and introduce yourself? So I'm Kirill. I'm the co-founder of MKDF, a cloud consultancy based in Germany. I'm Pablo, Pablo Inigo, the other co-founder of MKDF. Okay, there is a third one, but he is not here these two days. We have recently launched a CICD learning tool, which shortcuts into everything you need to know to level up your CICD process and increase your productivity. Also, to ensure that all our customers get the best CICD guidance, we have improved our sign-up process. From now on, everyone who's considering using Semaphore will get personalized CICD expert guidance from day one. Our engineers have more than 10 years of experience, so you'll surely be in good hands. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com. Can you give us like uh, a brief history of MKDev? We started as a B2C product, a platform to teach people programming. So I used to be, as I just said, a backend developer with Ruby and Rails primarily. And I started teaching other people with Ruby and Rails and then build this platform that slowly evolved to have more and more tutors to teach other people. But, and it, MKDF existed like this and the brand around MKDF, the visual style was born around this B2C area. But due to different political events, the economical events, etc., the B2C part slowly became unreasonable to maintain further. And around three years ago or so, we basically decided, okay, we'd rather do B2B and we'd rather just become a consultancy and help companies instead of being a training business. And we switched to, yeah, the ops consultancy and cloud, which is right now. Can you guys speak a bit how your client base evolves and uh, what, what kind of companies are you guys working with? What we have started is always to work with companies that they wanted to have a, a DevOps team, they want to have a DevOps uh, architecture, or they want to have an audit, or, but always it was everything was related to, to DevOps, you know? And when I say DevOps is infra, I said, for example, I want to have an architect, I want to have a team of people who is going to do that. But since the last months, Everyone now is asking about the AI. But okay, we create a, a new a new line, a new division that is for AI, because at the end, we are, we have started as a infra company, but at the end, most of the companies, they want to have something related to AI. And it's something that we are. You discover these days that most of the people, they don't know what they want or they don't know what they can get, but they are asking for something that they don't know what is going to be the result. These days, when they talk about something different, they don't know what is the result, and then it's, it's more or less the, the chaotic part that is happening at the end of this year. AI element, what, what you're presenting, is going to stay around for a long time, and is it's not the hype, it, it's it's here and it's to stay, but many things are not defined, and people are just don't know where to, what's the first step, I guess. I, I understand perfectly what you said because I think in the same way. Not everyone understands what they are talking about. You know, we have a, a head of of AI in our in our company, and when I talk with him, it's something like you say, "Come on, please." What you think that you know is nothing when you hear him talking about that. You know, because he's a person who has been working with AI for many years and he knows what he's talking about. And it, it's, it's the same. For example, another example 
maybe not so dramatic, but microservices, it was another example when everything needs to be microservices. Yeah. Why? But what's that? I don't know. In technology, there are those journeys where something originates as an open source thing. And then there are commercial products around them. And sometimes it's the other way around. How do you guys see that evolution, open source tooling for AI and all of that versus those commercial companies and so on? I think the presentation from Amazon, what they're doing right now. So they have a product called Amazon Bedrock, which basically does not try to be a chat GPT replacement. They do what Amazon is good with. They make... They offer a cloud service which makes using LLMs really easy. But essentially, Bedrock is a wrapper around five, six different models. So Amazon realizes that it cannot be that only one company, uh, OpenAI is responsible for AI for the LLM progress. And they say, okay, there are actually some open source uh, models. There are some models from Meta. There are models from Amazon. So they're trying already to kind of give this choice and allow to select between different models and fine-tune them. But one of the features they just announced is that now you can fine-tune like the Llama model and the, the Titan model directly. It probably will move into this direction on any cloud provider except Azure, because they will offer not only their own models, but a really easy way to use open-source models. Yeah, there are some models that are public, so then everyone can get, and even you can make your own but the difference here is if you want to go to this specific NLP connected to an LLM, to, you know, this natural language, say like how it is TPT4, the, the problem is that today they are the winner. And the question is, do you need this model? Yes or no? Because in AWS, the, you know, demonstrate that this is not needed in every case. And nevertheless, demonstrated like Vertex AI with many other examples that this is not needed, you know. But I think that today many companies, they want to have GPT because is there, you know, is is what we're talking. No, is I need this huge model that is the best one today. You know, and and even you can do everything today because you can connect an agent. You can do now this new connection even in OpenAI in the web. I think that when you are giving a unit, you are you are giving a a, a reason to be there. A model is when is is something good, and you don't need to use GPT. You don't need to use Llama. You need to use the one that is the best. And these cases that. AWS are doing, I think it's are fantastic because are giving business cases to a something that today is only cool. But when you are offering directly and only in two clicks uh, a business case is what when you are offering to the customer good thing. And I think that this is where everyone, all the, all the companies needs to move in this direction. We need to find a good business case to use this LLN, these large models with this natural language programming. So, so this way to understand when they, when you write, when you, you talk to this language. And to give something good. Because to have a chat, we have chat GPT. In that realm of like integrating, what's your maybe just hunch in that realm? Cloud, big public clouds versus the, the on-prem use case? What makes uh, GPT-4 is so great is that they spent how long? Like six months, one year training it with data. So it's a great model. We don't know if that's the best model, but that's for sure the model that got the most training and the most material pumped into it over a long period of time. And that's something probably harder to reproduce with untrained open source model on premise. Yeah, yeah. Because the problem is the money. Because in mind that you go on-prem and you want to create your own model. I'm, I'm not, not saying that model has to be created on-prem, but maybe just utilized. Utilized can, can be, you know, you can you can have some GPUs 
because this is something else that you need to have because you need to have a, an amount of GPUs because at the end, this is the business of the cloud providers, no? Yeah. And in terms of, I mean, the DevOps realm, when we are speaking about that, I mean, the things that, that come to mind are, you know, the architecture of the network of the, you know, the, the servers and so on, Terraform, Ansible, you know, all the other tooling in that realm. And when we speak about this, AI and all of those topics. Are there some things that you guys are thinking how those are, you know, potentially connecting, converging, or do they have like a points where they cross or they don't, don't cross yet? So when I talk to you, your brain is able to understand that what I tell him, maybe there is a word hiding in my other words, and then you're able to understand that. And this is the, the magic of this natural language. And this is how it's, how it's working. So now imagine that you have, for example, a, a natural language that is connected to a number of agents that is able to execute a number of things with a, a programming model that is able to understand many, many cases because has been training with many, many cases. A job like a, a DevOps guy can be substituted by a model. For sure, that then there will be people coding and preparing models and doing different things for sure. But I said that this work that you do once and another and another and another because how many times you type code in Terraform in different companies? Um, uh, next one. Okay, I'm going to create a, now this component. Now I'm going to create this component. It's something that is repeated and repeated and repeated. And this kind of process that is not, uh, I am not a pain, I am not painting. You know, it's like the, maybe the people is not watching the paint that you have in your back, Tarko. <laughs> but to do that, you need to be an artist. Um, but you know, this is something that is repeated and repeated. And for me, I think that this kind of, you know, infra can be easily, this deployment of this infra can be easily replaced by an autonomous component that is talking to a model that is executing a number of agents. There are more and more great use cases for AI now in the DevOps area. One of the good ones that has nothing to do with, with GPT is in observability. And what, for example, the Datadoc and New Relic Simula tools are doing is that you don't need to define alarms anymore. You just say, tell me if something bad happens. One of the new features in case of Amazon's added is that instead of writing queries for your logs, you just explain what you want to find in plain English and then they build you a query in their language. So I think for enhancing your day-to-day -day work is amazing. Uh, something I personally use every day to also generate Terraform code. And so actually for DevOps kind of code like YAML and uh, HashiCorp language is not so good. It just, I see that writing a Python script with GitHub Copilot or GPT-4 is extremely easy. It just does a fantastic job. Writing Terraform code, it just uses all the outdated stuff. It's not aware of the new things. It just, the new information is not inside the model yet. But that's something that will be fixed. The point where I disagree with Pablo is with this, that if you, some, if you do something lots of times, then GPT or language model is the solution for this. That's not how infrastructure evolved right over the last 10 years, because the way it evolved is that we built better and better abstractions on top of infrastructure, and we abstract away more and more things ourselves. What actually replaces lots of the things people do as DevOps engineers are more and more of better and better abstractions on top of infrastructure and not AI, because in the end, it's, there is someone uh, with this creative mind who thinks about how to build better abstractions. Uh, we have recently launched a CICD learning tool which shortcuts into everything you need to know to level up your CICD process and increase your productivity. Also, to ensure that all our customers get the best CICD guidance, we have improved our sign-up process. From now on, everyone who's considering using Semaphore will get personalized CICD expert guidance from day one. Our engineers have more than 10 years of experience, so you'll surely be in good hands. 
Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com. Where do you guys see, see Kubernetes as a default platform from your day-to-day data that you are seeing and experience? Are these cloud-specific abstractions gaining more and more tractions compared to Kubernetes or Kubernetes is still... Okay, I, I think that you can use things like Cloud Run in Google Cloud, uh, Container App in Azure, but at the end, Kubernetes is Kubernetes, you know, and, and everything depends. The good thing is that you now, you these days, if you want to deploy something little and you only want to have some kind of front-end, automatically you can go to, imagine, Cloud Run that is one of the best or at least one of the first one, or container app that you have in Azure. It's boom. That's all. You have your code, you have the container, you, you build the image, and after that, in nothing, in seconds, you have the application deploy without scaling, plus you have a, an endpoint there. But as soon as you want to jump from this simplicity and you want to go to something in containers, that is, you need to, to start to do something above for sure that you need, you need Kubernetes. It's something that is there, you know, it's something that is, I think it's not going to be disappear for at least for the next two, three, four years. Because I think Kubernetes as a way to run containers, as a way to optimize container resources is the most horrible thing in the cloud because it just adds another layer of maintaining CPU and memory. So you have a schedule on top of EC2 in case of Amazon or on top of the compute engine. For this, I think Kubernetes just should not exist as a solution in the cloud because that's not the way the power of Kubernetes is. Where the power of Kubernetes is, is that it's like with Ruby on Rails. When you go to any Ruby on Rails application, you know where to find everything. They're all the same. How big is the vendor lock-in? Uh, how big of a problem? How much are customers, maybe your customers, paying paying attention to that? It, it depends on the person. Like there are people for whom it's really important. The discussion about vendor lock-in is more theoretical than something practical that happens to many companies. I've been in some migration from AWS or from Azure to Google Cloud. And really, those happen because first, Google Cloud pay a lot of money because there is no other way to do that. So the idea is that during the first years, I'm going to give you everything for free and even uh, you only pay the, the engineers to the migration. These days is what Kili says, you know, when as soon as you go to the cloud, it's like an octopus. Is they introduce AIM, they introduce this other component, this other, and you are you are captured by this octopus, and it's super difficult to to live uh, to live out of this octopus because he's going to eat you. But it's uh, also very good business to sell the other direction, right? Because the alternative is that let's go full cloud native, open standards way. And then next day you have Istio running just to do some simple networking. And you have something like cross-plane and more and more complex open source technologies because you don't want to be vendor locked in. But now you're locked in into CNCF organization and army of consultants and courses and everything built around this. So and then it's another vendor lock-in, just you locked into open way of doing things or open standards way. In terms of how these, you know, just commercial stories around, you know, vendors and around, you know, clients need to invest their money and bet on something, essentially. How is that influencing tooling and what you guys are seeing? Maybe in just, let's say, these last three or last couple of years. Is evolution something that um, is bringing, you know, major changes or how do you guys see that? Depends on the company, depends if this is a startup or not. Normally, the biggest companies are super conservative. So I say conservative in the technology that they use. If they go to one technology, they stick with this technology for years. Little companies, they can change easily because even it's, it's super dynamic for them. You know, it's, there is not so many process around. So then in a, in a startup, a startup is simple to change from 
one technology to another. But at the end, what happened normally in the big companies is that they see what is the benefit and what is the, the complication and what is the, the amount of money that they should spend. For sure that uh, the cloud providers bring new technologies, bring new components, but more or less, you know, there are changes, but more or less everything is the, has been the same. What I see from many uh, cloud providers and vendors as they try to consolidate and simplify. And again, from Amazon side, they have the wonderful open source tool called AWS Copilot because they figured they have many, many ways to run containers. So they just abstracted everything away with the single open source CLI tool, making use of everything they released before. How do guys internally the company manage manage the, the, the hype cycles? Try to show the customers that they don't need it. Uh, one of the examples we actually can share publicly because we have, and it's about service mesh, because we have a series of videos that should be created together with Alliance about service mesh. And the idea was that, okay, before you start using service mesh, let's just evaluate it. Like, let's look at technology, which service meshes out there exist, which requirements you have, and then just verify if it works or not. And then, you know, once you start comparing different service meshes, you see that some of them are just a monster, another one uses service mesh just to sound fancy. And then when you start configuring some of them, you find so many issues just on the proof of concept stage that then it's easy for a customer to see, well, probably we should not use it. My personal sense is always like I'm trying to be as conservative as possible and not fight innovation, but to always ask like why? Because in the end, yes, the tool is cool, like service mesh is amazing, it's also durability, but you need to know why for your single monolithic application you need the service mesh, why it's required. Yeah, if you are 10, 20 or even 50 people company, you don't need what Netflix needs or what Google needs or what other, you know, huge organizations need. What is moving the companies is the fear. And the fear is coming not uh, down to up, it's coming up to down. So, you know, so the, the CEO of the company at the end in the huge companies is not the, the owner of the company is there because there is a board who is telling you are, you are there and you can be fired. Then the next step is the CTO. Imagine I telling the next step, but okay, well, the same line could be the CTO. And, and it's the same. He has fear because he, he talked with another CTOs and he understand that what is happening around and, and he see, think, okay, I need to do that. Imagine the case of a service mess. Okay. I need to use that. Why? No, I don't know. But okay. I, I've been in many conferences. I hear a lot of people telling we are using service mess and, and, oh, I need to use service mess. I have fear because I don't want to make a mistake. Then you can go down, imagine to the head of uh, infra and, it's the same because then the, the CEO says to the CTO, says to the head of, says to, and then at the, at the end, nobody wants to make a mistake. The problem in this kind of business that you don't see in other businesses, for example, you send to the company, imagine 20 people of the company to some conferences and those guys in the conferences, they start to hear about something called, let's talk about service mess because it's the topic that we said here. Imagine everyone start to hear about service mess. And then these 20 people goes to the company and start to talk about service mess. And it's something that is spread around. And then this uh, this spread go up. And then even the people who is up, the C-level, goes to another conference and I start to hear about the same thing. So at the end, there is something like a bubble of people talking about service mess. So then it's clear, we need service mess. <laughs> so now we need to create a case, we need to create a business case where to use service mess. The technology create the business case and it's not in the other way around that you know that you have a business case and you need to find the technology and in the other way around you need to use that. The path. But the problem is when there are so many voices talking up and down about something that you need to go to this to this direction. And it's, it's bottom up as well, right? Because 
was not the case because service mesh is probably a big example, but many, many tools, it's just individual contributors, they read blogs and newsletters and they're like, oh, Pulumi is the most important thing now for infrastructure. Let's rewrite all of our Terraform and Pulumi. And I, I, I would be this kind of person as well, like some years ago, like I just slowly became more conservative. But sometimes you just need to wait, right? And not to get this fear of missing out. Because if I'm still waiting for Pulumi, this particular case, to become popular enough to start caring about it, because there was this explosion of popularity, then there was nothing. Then there was another spike because of uh, license change. But in the end, if you look at the what customers use, what job descriptions specify, Pulumi is maybe 0.5% and Terraform is 99%. Going forward, if you you guys can maybe give us like a, a draft of, of your next team next year and uh, what are the things that you guys are bootstrapping, what are some of the next steps that you guys are taking there and for people who are interested in, in hearing more, how they can find about it. So we, we are with our infra team, as always, you know, we are growing these, these teams, you know, and working in these, in these companies because at the end, this is the root of of NCADEF, and this is what we are since beginning, cloud infra, you know, and, and this is what we are. We are creating, okay, that is already created this uh, division for, for AI and data, not only AI, so, you know, it's AI, data, machine learning, you know. And then we are working to check if we can create a new division about the security for the 2020-2024. This is our three three pillars. You know, because at the end, the thing is when you are in one customer, you discover that uh, if you only offer to this customer, imagine you're a supermarket and you only offer bread, but they want to have uh, onions and they want to have carrot and they want, and you said, why am I only going to sell to you bread if I am, you know? But the, the problem is that if you have no idea about the other thing in the supermarket, you need to learn. And for people who want to learn more about your stuff, you guys have a podcast. We can definitely link to that. I also saw, I think a couple of days ago, that Pablo is doing some uh, uh, webinars or something like that. So it's a, it's a GCP webinar. It's about Cloudrun. And it's, it's the, the idea of the webinar is explain how you can interconnect uh, with Cloudrun with, uh, internally or externally with a database, you know, because there are different ways to, to do that. Even now there is a new that, I was thinking to do an update of this webinar because there is a new way to do that with Cloud Run directly. So, you know, and, and then, but okay, when you have a Cloud Run, you need to think how it's working the VPCs inside Google Cloud and you need to use components like a VPC serverless because, you know, it's journey to talk internally through the, through the Google network. So, and the idea of this webinar is to explain with, with exercise how this is working to everyone in the, you know, and, and it's a free webinar, so it's not a it's not a paid webinar. So you can join. Besides that, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, we publish every Monday a new video, and okay, Pablo publishes lots of AI videos. Uh, some of videos are also DevOps related, <laughs> and we have a biweekly newsletter, DevOps uh, MKDev Dispatch, where we just share everything that we created, plus an intro from uh, one of the three co-founders in every episode. Amazing. And maybe lastly, uh, it's mkdev.com or am I? M-E. Mkdev.me. Mkdev.me. Okay, great. Thank you guys. It was great talking to you and exploring all these interesting, some of them controversial subjects and topics <laughs> in our wild, wild <laughs> industry. Good luck in 2024. Thank you, Darko. It was a pleasure like always. Thank you. Thank you. What a great conversation. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Make sure to subscribe to Semaphore Uncut on your podcast player of choice so that you don't miss our new episodes. And stay tuned.